So, here we are, and uh, like I say, we have the uh, notes on the board, which you can't even hardly read. So I'll try to remember it, and I'll just tell you what they are. But the title is called, Judges 6, Gideon. Boy, was I creative on that title. I usually like to really try to get creative on titles. You ever notice that? You yes. know, some kind of a little bit of a catch, you know, and I go, huh, I just like the name Gideon. That sticks out, doesn't it? Gideon. you got to like that. Gideon. Sounds like a band, doesn't it? And everybody, Gideon. Everybody knows who you're talking about, too. Even, even non-Christians. That's right. Everybody knows that. Everybody they know knows that story. Gideon is. Mm-hmm. Did you guys know, as we start this next cycle of Judges, speaking of Gideon, this is the most complete cycle that we find in the book of Judges. There are like 100 verses on Gideon. It starts in chapter 6 goes through chapter 9, I believe, right? So you got four four chapters that's dealing with him, something along that lines. Uh, He definitely takes a pretty good presence in here. And you think of, of course, Samson. Everybody knows Samson. And uh, he would be next after that. I think he's got something like about 90 verses somewhere in that vicinity. But uh, Gideon played a really important role in uh, this particular book of Judges. And uh, God sends an oppressor against Israel. And uh, what's the pattern? They cry out to Him. Then He delivers them. And then it starts all over again. And that's that's where we're at. So uh, um, the first part kind of tells the story of God sending, you know, Gideon out, showing him that he's going to have victory. Um, that's basically what's in our chapter tonight. Second part of the story is Gideon's status as a warrior, and um, actually kind of uh, self-aggrandizing behavior that he has in the next section uh, because he is a little prideful. He gets overconfident. And so it goes with uh, most people the way that happens. They get a little bit of power and uh, all of a sudden they uh, start taking uh, it into more than what they were really given to do with. And as a result of this, we see that he takes revenge upon personal enemies as he goes through this with that power that he has. And then... um, we see the extent of canonization at the very last part of, of his uh, of judges here, this third section of Gideon. And we see that the people have fallen into new lows even after that, which they're wanting a king. They need a king. The only king is really going to be the Messiah, God in human flesh, to actually rescue these people. So uh, this story is right on the heels of the song of and also another hero was J.L. And so that was found in chapter what chapter 4. Chapter 5 was the song, giving all glory to God. And now we come to a man, Gideon, quite a, quite a hero. And he is in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11. Although <laughs> sometimes you see very weak faith of Gideon, especially at first, and then he really turns it into overconfidence in himself. But no matter how weak that he is, we see God use him 
And um, God is a covenant God. He uses an unlikely person again. Matter of fact, this guy is really unlikely to be used. And so we'll we'll get into that. But uh, anyway, this is about the oppression by Midianites upon Israel. God delivers. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day that we have and uh, study of your word as we go into this chapter 6 of Judges. May we see how you work in this and we see your power and your great grace and your mercy and your faithfulness, especially your faithfulness to your covenant, the promises that you've made. And we give you all glory again because you are a great God. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first one, which you guys can't see that's written on the board, is Gideon, after the title, Gideon, right? The bleak conditions of Israel. They're bleak. They're bleak because they've been disobedient. They rebelled against God, actually, and they follow other gods. They follow the way of the world. So the first six verses is what that is about. The bleak conditions of Israel. This is what happens to a nation that turns its back on God. First verse, sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. The Lord gave them into the hands of the Midian seven years. The power of Midian prevailed against Israel because of Midian, the sons of Israel, made for themselves the dens which were in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites would come up with the Amalekites and the sons of the east and go against them. So they would camp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel as well as no sheep, ox, or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock, their tents, that come in like locusts for number both they and their camels were innumerable and they came into the land to devastate it so Israel was brought very low because of Midian and the sons of Israel cried to the Lord (laughs) I guess isn't it amazing how people can hate people and do these kind of things to them like the Midianites have done like the Canaanites have done How can man be so bad? You would think that he have a little bit of mercy upon other mankind, wouldn't you? Well, in the history of mankind, that's not usually the way that it works. Countries against countries, nations against nations, kingdoms against kingdoms, that's the way it's always been. No mercy. So, it goes on and on. Now, the Midianites... They lived in the Sinai Desert. If you look at your maps or kind of get a visual map in your head there, uh, Sinai Desert is south of Israel. And of course, the Israelites had come from there. You know, of course, that was on the way from Egypt to there. Western Arabia, that's where the Midianites lived. They were semi-nobatic, means they kind of lived in tents most of the time, moved from place to place. Um, 
maybe not as bad as some of the full-fledged nomadic tribes, but anyway, they would ally with the Amalekites and between the two of them and maybe some extras, they could just wreak havoc on the Israelites. And that's really what they did. Uh, the Midianites actually <coughs> are related to Israel. You could say they're distant relatives of the Israelites. Abraham's second wife, her name was Keturah, and she was a Midianite. That, that's Moses, right? So there's relations there. Uh, a long history of contact that the Midianites and the Israelites had. And actually, it was basically friendly. It was friendly relationships. Not this time, but it was a Midianite trader, who, uh, traders who carried Joseph down to Egypt. Remember, they bought him because he was going to die. So they, they actually brought, bought him from Joseph's brothers. And so really they preserved his life, you know. So, uh, and we know what he did. He preserved many people's lives too. So Moses hid among the Midianites when he fled from Egypt after killing the Egyptian. Remember that? So a lot, a lot of history with the, with the Midianites and the Israelites in a good way. Uh, Moses ended up marrying a Midianite woman by the name of Zipporah. Midianite, right? So you can see they're related, good friendly relations, and then a bad turn happened when the Midianites attempted to lead Israel away from Yahweh, as you can remember like in Numbers 25. See that in the writings of Moses. And from that point on, Israel was forbidden to have any contact with the Midianites. In fact, Israel even went to war with the Midianites as you can see in Numbers chapter 31. So at some point, the Midianites now lose the fear of the Israelites. They seek revenge. So that's the status there. Friendly relations, and then they tempted Israel. Israel has to wind up beating them in war. And... Midianites have been afraid of them and now all of a sudden they get very brave because everybody else is taking their turns at Israel, aren't they? So uh, that's where the bleak conditions are at this time. That's, that's the Midianites. They began to plunder the Israelites. They, uh, uh, well, the Israelites are living in Canaan. They're, uh, they join with another of Israel's old foes the Amalekites, and they make life absolutely miserable. What do we have? We have, we have outlines here? Is that what you wanted? Yeah, did you get them out to everybody? Okay. Thank you. Okay. That's the right one. <laughs> yeah. I know I had one. I had to change it. I got I think I wound up with seven points. So that's right. Yeah. Yeah, I had another one sitting there and only had six. I, I, grab, I grab both books. I kind of had a mistake on it. Okay, so anyway, uh, miserable time for the Israelites. Deplorable conditions that they have to live in now. And that's what we see as we just read that, right? 
in verse 1, we see they did evil, and then what does God do? Gives them the Midianites. Turn right into the hands of the Midianites. And how long? Seven years. How would you like the enemy to come in? Just wreak havoc with your lives, with your food, with your water, with anything that's basic. They destroyed, took from them, they plundered. That's what they did. What they would do is they had let the Israelites uh, plant all the crops, and whenever it was time to pluck the crops, guess what? Here they came. They would steal their food, steal their animals, all the produce of the land, personal property, they'd just take it from them. It would be where, I guess you could say, uh, they redistributed property there. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, the, the socialites there of uh, the Midianites. <laughs> so that's what was happening. And they just ruined their life. It was hard to live. I'm sure a lot of people just died of starvation. It's a horrible time. They were suffering greatly. So, you know, we have to take this as far as we can. Matter of fact, they were just, they, they had to hide from them. They so were, where did they go? They were cavemen. That's right. They became the cavemen. <laughs> the cavemen. That's where the cavemen came from. Yes. Holes in the ground, caves, any strongholds, live up in the mountains, whatever it took to get out of there. And that's not a good place to grow food just have to live off the land and whatever's there what is, when you see some of those survivor shows they get in caves and what do they find in caves sometimes to eat bats and things like that bugs and spiders snakes you know it doesn't say that but uh, you gotta live yeah but wasn't some of that stuff forbidden for them to eat uh, to them, they don't care about the law. <laughs> they don't care about. It doesn't matter to them. Jenny, as long as you prayed over it, <laughs> thank the Lord for this critter. Do, do we get it though? It's it's horrible, a terrible life that they're having to live now. So in at the end of verse six, it says uh, first part of six. So Israel was brought very low. Well, that's under point number one, isn't it? That's under the bleak conditions. But right in the middle of the sixth verse, and the sons of Israel cried to the Lord. Here we go. After living in the holes in the ground, in the caves, and up in the mountains, I mean, this is humility. Israel is brought very low. About as low as they could go. There wasn't much left. It took them seven years. Seven years. Took them seven years to cry out to yeah. the Lord. I'm thinking the first time I stepped in that cave, <laughs> I'd be crying out. You think so, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah. That's how hard-hearted some people are. We've dealt with those people. We know some people that no matter how much truth you give them, the harder they fight back, and they get into some terrible conditions. They just don't get it. And they go on and on, and then somewhere down the road, it gets at the very lowest point, and guess who's crying out to God? Yeah. I'll tell you what, Ronnie was the one 
Tony was the one, oh, how he hated God, oh, God was nothing, and blah, blah, blah. And then he'd run into a batch of trouble, and he'd pray for me. Pray? pray? Michael and I would say, pray, pray to who? To who? <laughs> you don't believe in him, so why did you not pray to him? Who should we pray to? You got a good rock? What does that tell us? They oh, all know that God is there. My God to help you now. <laughs> so they cry out to the Lord. What's the Lord do? He says, forget it. I've had enough of you. Stop. Just go. I don't care. You don't believe in me. You don't trust in me. So I'm done with you. No. Now it came about when the sons of Israel cried to the Lord on account of Midian that the Lord sent a prophet. Catch, catch that. A prophet to the sons of Israel. And he said to them, Thus saith the Lord. Don't you like that? That's what prophets do. Thus saith the Lord. The God of Israel. It was I who brought you from Egypt. So he takes them back. Gives them history. Brought you out from the house of slavery. Did they know this? Yes. Yeah. I delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians and from the hands of all your oppressors and dispossessed them before you and gave you the land. Their land. And I said to you, I am Yahweh, your God, you shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you have not obeyed me. Sad. It's really, really sad. So they cry out. They were made very small, very low, humiliated. And then God says after they cry out, I got a message for you. It reminds them of what he's done and how he had already promised them these things. And here it is in 7 through 10. You have an unknown prophet. We don't know who this guy is. What does a prophet do? Thus saith the Lord. He speaks for God. Now, you know, in Judges, you see Judges, right? Well, here he sends a prophet. After the time of the king's start, you really start seeing a succession of prophets. Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and on and on, right? They spoke for God. They warned the people. Gave them promises of God. Told them what was going to happen in the future. Well, there were people that you know would speak for God. But I think here in Judges it kind of introduces this. Of course, Moses is a prophet, right? He's a prophet, priest, and king. So in any any ones that he came to and spoke, like uh, who was a prophetess just before Deborah. this, Deborah. Deborah, right? So we're seeing people all along being revealed the Word of God. He would use maybe one person to get his word to them. Today, we don't rely on one person. All of those persons appear with their writings right in here by the Holy Spirit. We've got everything right here for us. So, a prophet is unknown. 
tells them what God has done. Tells them about the disobedience that they had. They had forgotten God. They're disobeying the terms of the covenant. God had stuck with His. And then He just has to let them go. So this prophecy sets the stage for Gideon's call. Gideon's not a prophet, but he's going to be a warrior for God. He's going to fight for God. He's going to lead the people. So the prophet's there, comes, tells them something very simple. Should have remembered that, but they said, okay, you're crying out for God. Here's the God. Here's what you've done. Okay, but he doesn't give them any hope here. He doesn't, I mean, they got nothing. No, they just basically said, here's I mean, I what be, I've done. Yeah, I would be totally devastated. At least he, he, he spoke to them. But I'm wondering, how long did it take after that? We don't, we yeah. don't know. There's no time on here. Yeah, wow. it, was it immediately? Same day, next day, yeah, next month, next year, five years? Yeah. Wow. So, here's where Gideon comes onto the scene. He's not expecting this at all. <laughs> Why should he? Then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak. That was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abizrite, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press in order to save it from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you. Oh, valiant warrior. He's, he's not a soldier. He's a farmer. He's hiding in the Then Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? So he's got, a, he's got a little bit of beef about this. <laughs> Gideon does. Don't you call me a warrior. <laughs> but now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. That's right. That's right. The Lord looked at him and said, Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? He, he, he said, What? <laughs> I'm going to go and deliver the people from Midian. Right. What did he say? <laughs> oh Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. But the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you and you shall defeat Midian as one man. So Gideon said to him, hmm, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign. He not only asked for a sign, but he tells the angel of the Lord what the sign is going to be. <laughs> He's telling him, Okay, here's what I want then. Wow. Because I already believe you. 
It is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come back to you and bring out my offering and I lay it before you. And he said, I will remain until you return. So he's going to bring food out there. It's going to be sacrifice, really. Gideon went in, prepared a young goat, unleavened bread from an ephah of flour. He put the meat in a basket and the broth in a pot and brought them out to him under the oak and presented them. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord, he keeps saying that, the angel of the Lord. Who is this? Christ. Pre-incarnate Christ. Christ. Many times I've seen that over and over. As you go through here, you, there's no doubt who he is. The angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat, the unleavened bread, and the fire sprang up from the rock, consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. Then the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. When Gideon saw that he was the angel of the Lord, he said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. The Lord said to him, Peace to you, do not fear, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and named it, The Lord is Peace. To this day, it is still in Ophrah of the Abizrites. Boy, that's a long section. Here's the call and the commissioning of the fifth judge here, isn't it? We've seen the terrible condition they were in. We've seen where they've cried out. We've seen that God sent a prophet. Now he sends the angel of the Lord, which is Jesus Christ, before he was born, coming in the, in a way that somebody can understand who he is. The son of Joash, the name Gideon, is his first name. It means hacker. It's the hacker. Huh? <laughs> okay. The hacker. That might have a different term nowadays. Today it's, we're dealing with computers there, aren't we? <laughs> Well, he, in a few verses, we'll see him do some hacking. Strange <laughs> bones. I guess you can say that. Um, his his middle name or his nickname is is given in a, a few verses later, and it's Jerob Baal, and it means let Baal contend. Ooh. Yeah, bring you know, okay. Yeah, let Baal condemn. You know, Baal doesn't need any help, does he? If he's that mighty of a god. This this is okay, a terebinth. Did you see that terebinth there? Yeah. Or it's an oak or a turpentine tree. Let's just say oak. Ophrah is in the Jezreel Valley. Okay, catch that now. In this is the northern part of Israel, right? We're closer to the Mediterranean Sea than the Jordan River. We know to the west is the Mediterranean Sea if you're in Israel, and to the east is 
the Jordan River, and then across the Jordan River uh, is on the other side of Jordan. Different countries. Anyway, being located so far to the west and way up northern part of Israel, you can see that how wide of an area and big of an area that the Midianites did as they wreaked havoc, havoc in Israel. Where are the Midianites from? Way down south. And they come up and they take this whole area right there and all the way, and, and this is all the way to the Mediterranean Sea. So northwest. It's the great northwest of Israel. And so does that, does that help getting an idea where this is at and what the Midianites are doing? They uh, it spread out that far. Exactly. And they got enough gumption up to go in and take on the Israelites. Why not? Everybody else was doing it. And at the right time, whenever a nation is very ungodly, if it's the right time that God has in mind, He'll bring on the enemy and destroy nations that way, doesn't He? He always has. He always will. That's the way He does it. It's no different. So here we go. What's Gideon doing? Well, he's secretly grinding wheat in a, white pr- in a wine press. Now, why would he secretly be doing this? Because he didn't want those guys to get it. Yeah, if you're out there, usually what do you do with the wheat? It's a threshing floor, right? Big area, it's outside. If he's out there doing this, and you got the dust going and flying everywhere, uh, it could be seen by the enemy. And you could get that ripped off. So he, he's at this wine press and he's hidden in there and that's how he's doing it to be well, able to do it in that way. Oh boy, it is. <laughs> well, the wind has to blow from a certain direction. <laughs> anyway, he was not doing the normal way that somebody would be doing on the threshing floor. So I think they're a little bit smart about this. Yeah. Uh, and then Yahweh chooses him to be the one who's going to reverse the curse on Israel. This terrible situation they're in. I want to tell you, he's a very unlikely choice to be made. And usually most of the people that God chooses are just basically that way. They're just real unlikely to be in God's kingdom and being used by Him as a humanly. He likes those Yep. He plays a very important role in redemptive history. He becomes a mighty man of valor. A great warrior. Gideon wasn't that way before. He had no idea. He didn't have any gumption to do that. But because God is gracious... God is one who comes in, tells him what he's going to do, keeps reassuring him that he's going to have victory. He says, this is the way it's going to be. We're going to win this thing. We're going to do it. You, with my help, are going to destroy the entire nation of Midian as easily as one man 
strikes down another, as he said, as one, as one man. You'll defeat Midian as one man. Uh, wow, that's, that's hard to believe. That's why he's saying, you've got to show me a sign. <laughs> So he goes and gets the meat and delusional everything. I because I've been in the wine press with the wheat thing. You get everything else. I'm huffing the wheat out. I'm going to suggest to my sinuses and I'm With the demonstration of God's power here, as there it is, there's the, the sacrificial meat and what he's brought out there, the unleavened bread, lays them on a rock, pours out the broth. Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand, touched the meat, the unleavened bread, and fire sprang up from the rock, consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. And then the angel of the Lord just vanished. Boom, just like that. Gideon is going, wow, not really. He is in one way, but another way, he is... His knees are knocking now. He's scared to death. Why? Why would he be fearing? He saw God. What happens when you see God? He saw the second person of the Godhead, didn't he? Which is Christ. Exactly. As as uh, Gideon then says. O Lord God, for I have now seen the angel of the Lord face to face. We look for that day though, don't we? Amen. To see Him face to face. What I mean, the glory of glories. So, the Lord said to him then, and I take it that He's not seeing Him visibly here because He vanished unless He came back. I think it's the voice now. Here's the Word of God. Uh, Peace to you. Do not fear you shall not die. That's it. You're not going to die. That's what, see, Gideon knew that he was going to die. He was fearing this and he had every right to because that's usually the, the wording if you see God and he believed it. God showed up. I saw him face to face. He was afraid for his life. He was in terror. Seeing the pre-incarnate Christ no one sees God and lives to tell about it, right? But the angel graciously reassured him and he said, do not fear. Do not fear. Peace to you. Peace to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. He's already told him what he's going to be doing. But he gets another word from God also wasn't like, okay, what's next? What do I do? How do I do this? God shows up again. Verse 25. Now, on the same night, the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and a second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal, which belongs to your father, Cut down the Asherah that is beside it. And build an altar to the Lord, your God, on the top of this stronghold in an orderly manner. And take a second bull and offer a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah, which you shall cut down. Then Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had spoken to him. And because he was too afraid of his father's household and the men of the city to do it by day, he did it by night. 
that's okay. Hey, I think it's probably a wise thing to do, right? Oh, this is this is Gideon's own father that built this altar or allowed it to be built. It's a pagan altar, and it's somewhere he's on his own property in in Ophrah. That is, uh, you know, that that same area that that we've talked about. And of course, I guess uh, all of this is going to start in his own household. That uh, Gideon starts a, a war. It starts right there. So this great man of valor that's going to go take down the Midianites was too afraid of his own family, <laughs> so he had to go through this at night. Yep. Take, and take his, da- and take his dad's animals to even do it. There's one thing knocked down that altar. He went and got his dad's own livestock. So he's commanded that. He does it. Uh, he has one, you know, he has two bulls, and they're going to take down this statue, I mean, this idol. <laughs> this is where God started this, the tearing down of, uh, of idols. And, Statues of them, I guess you could say. Uh, also, Asherah is kind of like a—it's like maybe a grove of trees or small trees, and they're de- dedicated to uh, Asherah. And there was probably a, a, well, there was a carved figure of this deity who's female, and she was grossly exaggerated with female features in this figure that was made of her. And then you see the irony here in verse 28. When the men of the city arose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was torn down. Everybody, let's say yes. Yes! (laughs) Don't you like that? And the Asherah, which was beside it, was cut down. And the second bull was offered on the altar which had been built. So he used two bulls, bring it down, you got one of them being sacrificed. Bulls are very expensive. Yeah, that's, that's the head of the breed, if you know what I mean. Yeah, this is that's that's a big deal. This is a lot of money. That's what God called for, he did it. He knew that. Verse twenty nine, they said to one another, Who did this thing? And when they searched about and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, did this thing. How do they know? They Yeah. Got around somehow, didn't it? Started threatening them. Whatever. Then the men of the city did this thing. Then the men of the city said to Joash, Bring out your son that he may die. Wow. This is the irony of it all. You have a, a dead idol that is nothing. It's just fake. There's nothing. There's nothing as substance in that all. But bring out the son. We're going to kill him. For he has torn down the altar of Baal, and indeed he has cut down the Asherah which was beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, It's a good father here. Will you contend for Baal? Or will you deliver him? Whoever will plead for him shall be put to death by morning. If he's a god, let him contend for himself. There we go. Let 
fail contend. Right? If He's really that powerful, He doesn't need your help. He's got a good point, doesn't He? Because someone has torn down His altar. Therefore, on that day, He named him Jeroboam. That is to say, let Baal contend against him because he had torn down his altar. So there's his nickname now, Jeroboam. <laughs> he's ready to be the warrior that he's going to be. Father speaks up in defense here. This shows you how much apostasy had gotten into the people at this time. And here you have uh, the altar of Baal and Asherah and people, you know, put their faith in this and, you know, just a shrine. And you know what the covenant curses are for having an idol up like this? Carved figures? Well, actually, be the death penalty. It's God's or Gideon's father who now he defends him, even though it was on his land, and he used the bulls of him. If Baal is real, why defend him? You don't need to do that. If Baal is just a figment of human imagination, isn't he? Just made up. There's nothing to him at all. He's not a god. And uh, so we have a renaming ceremony here. Jeroboam. The hacker is now Jeroboam. He, he took his dad's property. He didn't take the rest of those men's property. So this was kind of more of a thing between the father and the son than it was all the rest of the people. And it was on his land too. So everything was in-house. That was done, really. So that's why he probably... I'm sure all these people worshipped at this yeah. thing. But he took his dad's bulls and all that did it all. So, yeah. Deuteronomy 13 says those who attempt to lead Israel after false gods are to be put to death. So it's the men of Oprah here who stand condemned, not Gideon. And that's a point that they don't even get. It's completely lost to them. They're willing to kill this man's son because of that idol which is nothing. But that's that's how apostasy had taken over in the land. So there is a timid man now being turned into a mighty warrior. What did we say Jeroboam a name means? Let Baal contend. Let Baal contend. That's pretty good. Because the father knew that he wasn't going to do anything. If he's that kind of a God, he can can take care of himself. So we... uh, Wow, we're in 33 already? This is great. Then all the Midianites and the Amalekites, seven years they have been just dominating, stealing from the people, and the sons of the east, other people that helped them, assembled themselves and they crossed over and camped in the valley of Jezreel. That's where they're at. So the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. You like that? And he blew a trumpet and the Abizrites were called together to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh and they also were called together to follow him and he sent messengers 
to Asher, Zebulun, Naphtali, and they came up to meet him. So he gets the trumpet out. He gets people like messengers that go from that area to all around the northern parts to gather up the men. They're ready to do it. Gideon is believing God. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Verse 34, this is the victory right there. Triune God is always involved in everything, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. yeah. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Now he has he has the power, and he he knows it. But just in case, wait a minute. Okay, wait a minute. We're going. This is the Midianites. They've done this for seven years. We know how mean and evil and wicked they are. How about those people in the Middle East? <laughs> Pretty wicked and evil, aren't they? That's how they were. Is Remember Israel and their enemies over there east of them? Here we go again. And so he's saying, uh, I believe God. I really believe God, but uh, that's... I don't know, this is really hard. I gotta make sure. <laughs> he kinda goes weak in the knees a little bit here and he I'm kinda new to this. What's another sign? Check the facts here. Right. Now he's already had a sign, right? I mean the meat oh, yeah. the unloaded bread got consumed. Every bit of Angel dead. Lord disappeared. Boom. It's That's dead. all you need, isn't it? Well, Gideon says, I need another sign. That might have just been a lucky thing. This great man of Valor is having a little trouble. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> back to the old. Way. I love that great man of Valor, Gideon. Really. And now we come to the famous fleece. <laughs> uh, Throw out the fleece, and that's what some people do today. They still do this. Throw out the fleece. They want an answer. I won't ever get it. Remember what I agreed to. Was it the web on the one side of the Oh, yeah, <laughs> no, I was told all about this in my very beginnings of, you know, looking through Scripture, and I was told about this. If you're ever in doubt, throw out a fleece. And it, you'll get your answer. I don't have a fleece. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just throw dice. <laughs> one, three, three is yes, four, five, six. I so. like it on my couch <laughs> Okay, here we go. Then Gideon said to God, If you will deliver Israel through me, as you have spoken, he's already spoke. <laughs> God's word has already been delivered. Behold, I will put a fleece of, of wool on the threshing floor. If there's dew on the fleece only, and it's dry on all the ground, then I will know that you'll deliver Israel through me as you've spoken. Okay, there's the first way if you get this all confused. He's saying, first of all, the fleece is wet, but the ground is dry. That'd be a pretty remarkable thing, wouldn't it? Not really. I wouldn't be impressed. <laughs> I'd be impressed. <laughs> Never works that way. Though that's the thing. But. And... And it was so, when he arose early the next morning and 
squeezed the fleece, he drained the dew from the fleece, a bowl full of water. Okay, that's all I need now. No. Then he said to God, Okay, do not let your anger burn against me. Let's try this one, God. Okay, just to make sure. Do not let your anger burn against me that I may speak once more. Please let me make a test once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece and let there be dew on all the ground. That Let's makes, cover all the bases that makes, here. But that makes more sense. That's more of a, you know, like you said, you're talking about the other way around. That fleece could have absorbed up a lot of the moisture well maybe that's what he was thinking he's going okay maybe that's not a or good a enough test or something you know there's all, all kinds of things that could have happened this way it can't work that way it won't be dry you know what's amazing about God here he goes along with God it. did so that night mm-hmm. for it was dry only on the fleece mm-hmm. and dew was on all the ground right. okay it's time to go to war <laughs> How many signs does he add? Now, that's the third sign, isn't it? Okay, but what if God came to you and said, you're going to do this? You know, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, you know, God's never asked me to do anything wild and crazy like this. I'd be but worse than Gideon. Did, yeah. I you know, I'm thinking about Moses. Look at what he did. Oh, yeah. I mean... Talk about argue. <laughs> what 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 we're talking about is impossible is that, odds. You yeah. can't take them on. Yeah. Who are we? Who am I? Like right yeah. I'm from a family that is nobody, and I am the least of this family. And I never then, killed then this anything. begins to make a lot of sense to me because I'm saying, well, now wait a minute. Let's one more time. Is it? What do you think about this? <laughs> I believe you, God. Send me a letter. Just I need some more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would be really, really. It'd be like tight. right now with all these statues. Let's say God told you to go take a bull and kill and burn it on each yeah. of these th- these things that have been taken down. You're like, wow. Uh, I get the <laughs> and he survived that deal. Yeah. yeah. But what? But like we're talking about for nowadays for us to sit there and say, you know, because I just thought it would be funny to take a a bull, sacrifice it on each one of these things just to see. What the other side would squawk yeah, about. I'd have to have some real proof that God really wanted me to do that. I mean, this is well. This begins to make sense when you look at what He's being asked to do. Because what were you looking for? After all this time and all this hardship, right? And now, let's just do this and this and this, and everything's going to be work. <laughs> wow! After all this seven wow. years of just horrible living conditions, you know what, Gideon? is really his own worst enemy. Yahweh is gracious. Gideon is a weak and sinful man. Aren't we? Well, and the other thing I was looking at was, you know, it says, you know, God, uh, where where he says, uh, as you said. And you would think, well, yeah, God said that, so that ought to be enough. But God says it and says it and says it, and it isn't enough for us. He says it and he just keeps being gracious yeah. to us over and over and over and over again, right? Yeah. 70 times 7. <laughs> More than that for me. I don't know. <laughs> but so, God, don't be wow. angry, but I don't know if I understood you did that way, right? So God graciously grants the request 
twice there. He's teaching Gideon, though, to be confident that God can and He will do just as He promised. What's our application here? How about asking for signs from God? Well, He's double-minded. He's weak. God is faithful. God is merciful. He just kind of keeps going along with Gideon. But He's building him up at the same time. Uh, You know what? Here's what we are to do. We're to study His revealed will. His Word, right? Through prayer is another way. How about godly counsel with good fellowship with God's people, right? Being able to talk with each other. Wisdom. How about just good old-fashioned common sense that He gives, right? You take all of those factors and that's how we make decisions all day long. Sometimes I wonder, I wonder if God is leading me in this. Is this right or wrong? Or... But you know, one of the things that comes to me, I always ask God to remind me of the things He's done in the past. You know, it's kind of a, it's a satisfying of encouragement, though, too, to keep going on. Because when you look at your history, or you look at your past with Him, there's things that He's done in your life that you and Him know that that was Him doing it. Or he, the odds, you knew the odds were so that, that this just could not work this way. He's proven that he did do something. That's right. That's what you use for that. And isn't that how we grow in a Christian faith? What you have is a struggle sometimes. And it's a struggle in our Christian lives. God gives us things that He has revealed. We've learned these truths through His Word by reading and hearing about it, seeing how He's done in our own lives, how He works with others. Then we work these things out in the daily grind of life. And that's how we grow. Scripture doesn't specifically speak to every matter that we have in life, uh, anything that comes at hand, but uh, the story of Gideon doesn't really teach us to lay out the fleece. It teaches us that uh, God's faithful and as His purpose for us is revealed in our lives. He gives us blessings, works through different things. Number two, it's obvious, God does not reject His people. Even though they deserved a punishment seven years there, and yet there He is. He's coming right back up, gives them a prophet, and then gives them a judge who is very unlikely, like a lot of the other ones, just like we are today, I'm a very unlikely person to be having a position of teaching God's Word. It was definitely not in my plan. But yet somehow, 35 years ago, God had us come together. You could say this is kind of like a birthday celebration in a way. What's, you know, what's the big deal about 35 years? Well, I had no idea what would be done with it. Remember, this, was the, this was the guy that was sick on every time he had to do a speech in front of class. <laughs> Great school. So, anyway, I'm thankful for these 35 years. It's a blessing. And um, God takes somebody who's really, really weak and really had really no business doing anything like this. And... Uh, Allowing us to be. Sure. He chooses great men of valor. 
Yeah, right, <laughs> right. And that's what I guess Gideon was known as, but yet we see a very weak man. But that's who God uses. He uses well, people val- that are weak. Well, it's a good valor. thing, or he wouldn't be able to use any of us. That's a great thing of valor. Right. The valor was who? It was the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yep. I had other plans. <laughs> yeah, see, and I, right. think, I think that was just part of God's plan to prepare you 